Single Simulcast, your favorite podcast, favorite podcast, uh, episode 212, Fat Man Wild's in the building, Rashani's in the building, you're in the building, I appreciate that. Um, I'm also fortunate enough to be joined by uh, two highly, highly, highly uh, sought after uh, minds um, in regards to some of the topics that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, both have their own podcasts. Uh, both are available on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, The Usual Suspects, um, Blog Talk Radio, uh, YouTube. Um, I'm going to start with uh, ladies, because ladies first, Miss um, Lisa Loco from the Father Teresa's Wine Cellar. Uh, Lisa, go ahead and tell them something about yourself. Tell them about your show, anything that you're currently doing. The floor is yours. Um, so the show is the brainchild of um, William J. Jackson, the greatest black atheist, um, and his fiance and primary co-host, the ever-brilliant Phoenix Kalita. And the two of them have been um, gracious enough to allow me a platform from time to time. Um, and so I join them um, most nights. Um, some stuff going on in just the real world has made me absent from the program for the last couple of months, but getting back into it. So that is the show. Um, a little bit about me with regards to tonight's topic in particular. Um, <clears throat> so... I am actually an immigrant. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was 15 and became a naturalized citizen when I was 19. And I grew up in a country that does not have guns. And I was never around guns as a child or young adult. Um, and honestly didn't see the need for them, didn't understand the American culture of them and had no knowledge of them, was completely ignorant, and if I'm completely honest, scared of them because of that. Um, in my early to mid-twenties, um, I started learning um, because I was in relationships and friendships with people who were hunters and gun enthusiasts and collectors. And then became a gun owner myself. Um, I also hunt, although I primarily bow hunt these days. Um, and so for me, it's kind of been a journey full circle from being completely ignorant and scared of the, the tool itself and the culture, and then becoming knowledgeable through exposure, experience, and research, and an owner myself. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Mr. Spann, go ahead and tell them something about yourself. Tell them about your show. This ain't the first time you've been on, but um, there might be some new folks who are listening to the show for the first time. So, Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on again, brother. Um, but, yeah, I'm Mr. Spann. I host the Spann Report podcast once a week. Uh, I do the show live on Spreecast. Uh, actually trying to fiddle around and get it done on Facebook live pretty soon. So I'm, <laughs> I got some new stuff coming up, but um, yeah, man, the spare report is pretty much about me waxing philosophically about whatever's going on in pop culture and sports and music, whatever. This is like 
me sitting down talking about what I feel about the news. And uh, sometimes I, you know, I bring my own personal uh, experience to it, my own, uh, my own personal beliefs. But at the end of the day, I really try to get folks to uh, really think about how they came to the conclusions that they did. Uh, in much the same way that I kind of sit, uh, I sit around and I, I think about uh, how I came to the conclusions that I have as well, man. Uh, but as far as guns are concerned, man, it was like guns were something that I kind of did grow up with. Uh, you know, I'm used to being in a home where there was a gun in every room. Uh, I've seen people shot. Uh, I've been shot at. Um, so, um, you know, I've, I've, I've learned about guns over a long court, you know, over a long period of time. And as I gotten older, uh, I become an advocate for, uh, responsible gun ownership. Uh, I know sometimes that can be a little lo- lost in the sauce when you think about some of the things that have happened lately, but, um, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm an advocate for responsible gun ownership. And, uh, Hopefully we can get some 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 really good information out of this show tonight. Now the the first thing that I wanted to uh, point out or or state on this show is uh, well first of all um, voicemail number for the show is area code nine one six five seven two nine zero one six. The email address is single simulcast at gmail dot com. Um, and the Twitter is at single simulcast. There's no underscore. I really want to know uh, what you think about uh, what we're going to say today, uh, because this isn't a conversation that should be had in a vacuum. Uh, if the world was perfect, we would be having this conversation in a way where people could just call in and uh, state their thoughts and emotions, things of that nature. And we could really reach a uh, consensus understanding. Um, but since Spreecast is closing soon and uh, I'm still figuring out Facebook Live and how to get more than one person on it and things of that nature, um, this is what it's going to be. Um, I just want to say uh before we really get into the thick of things, before we really get into the flesh of the apple, that I am literally a neophyte when it comes to guns. Um, I have never owned a gun. I've never held a gun. Wait, I did hold a gun once, but then um, I, <laughs> I sort of kind of accidentally maybe pointed it at the owner of the gun while I was holding the gun because I was asking a question about the gun and I turned and I turned my whole body and that was the last time I ever held a gun. Yeah. Um I was I was I was seventeen, you know, and I was just like, Whoa, gun, hey, how do you take off the safety thing? And they were like, Give me that motherfucker and I was like, Okay. <laughs> um subsequently my next door neighbors uh, were young fellas. They were like 23, 24, and we used to go over to their house and uh, rap with them all the time. They had a they had a loop machine and a beat and a drum machine, and so we would make beats and we would loop beats and sample beats and all that, and go over there and write rhymes. I remember that there was one song that, uh, they did called the Diddy Bop. Um, I remember that there was a couple songs that I put out that will never get heard by anybody, and this was before I was even felonious. This was just when I was a uh, 16, 17 year old kid who just was happy that there was a beat machine. And I remember one day, uh, the neighbor 
had his gun out and I can't tell you what kind it was. It was uh, a semi-automatic pistol. That's all I know. Um, and they were drunk and I was in the uh, house next door because we lived next door. That's how it worked out. And they were holding the gun and something happened and the gun went off and it went through their wall through uh, the kitchen cabinet in my kitchen, through the other kitchen cabinet in my kitchen, and embedded into the brick. Um, and they came over to check to make sure everybody was okay, everybody was fine, but that was the first and only time that I can actually honestly say that I was ever shot at. So, um, I've never been in gun violence. I've been around gunshots. I've been around um, people who have suffered from gun violence. I've lost family to gun violence, but I've never been an advocate of the belief that, and I want to say this as clearly as possible at the beginning of this show, I've never been one of the belief that uh, guns kill people. Ever. Like, I've always been of the belief that if you put a gun into the hand of a peaceful person, that's just a peaceful person with a gun. Um, if you put the gun into the hand of somebody who, uh, wished to cause malice, then that is a person who wished to cause malice with a gun. But no matter what, the gun is neutral. And, and, and I, I've always wondered if that was the right way to put it. Um, I wanted to ask the two of y'all how y'all felt about that belief, how y'all felt about that statement. Like, is there more to it? Is there less to it? Am I right on point? Um, and I'll go ahead and start with Lisa on this one. Lisa, what do you think? I think basically at its core, yes, you're right. Um, the, the, the tool itself is exactly that. It is a tool. And unless you are using it, it is inert. It is not inherently harmful. However, there is, I think, to say that it's just whether or not it's in the hands of a person who wishes to do good or wish or wishes to do bad is an oversimplification of the culture surrounding guns in general. Um, the, <clears throat> there's, there's a lot more to the conversation of how guns become a tool for violence rather than just the intent of that single person holding that single tool. Hold Antoine? on a second, Charles. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, well, I would agree with you. Um, you know, and, and there's a, a, there is a much larger conversation that needs to be had uh, when it comes to uh, who is who, who has the firearm uh i know a lot gets made about you know when we talk about um you know the mental health and mental checks and and, and making sure that their people are mentally stable enough to handle that responsibility of owning a firearm uh you know there's the conversation about whether or not you know of course uh it would seem to be common sense that whether or not people on the terror watch list should have access to firearms which they shouldn't uh you know there, there's there are all these different things that kind of converge on the actual gun itself. And the disappointing thing about it is when you start making some of these points towards all of the things that surround the use of a gun, uh, folks 
tend to feel like you're just, you know, you're just trying to get away from the main issue, which is what we're going to do about these guns. And so, um, it's a passionate thing. It's a, it's a, it's a very involved thing. You know, it's a, it's, it's not as simple as a lot of folks would like to make it out to be. There's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of middle ground when it comes to this, to this issue. Uh, it's just unfortunate that because of, uh, we only have these conversations when something really fucked up happens. Mm-hmm. And when we have these conversations and people are riled up, they're not trying to hear the other side of it. They're riled up. They're upset. They want to see something happen. Uh, they want to see some change happen. And it's not as if... Um, I, I wouldn't say that's un... Uh, how can I put that? I wouldn't say that that's un... Um, I'm losing the word now. It's right there on the tip of my tongue. I wouldn't say that that's unreasonable, right? I wouldn't say that that's unreasonable to want something done. Mm -hmm. I just think the conversation around it, it only happens when something really screwed up happens, and then everybody's on their extremes, and they're not trying to hear anything in the middle. Exactly. You can't make you can't make decisions in your personal life, in your relationships, in your professional life, or at a national level as a country when you are in your emotions about something. Mm-hmm. And and gun control and gun reform and how to address the things in the culture that make gun violence so prevalent in America needs to be a comprehensive, holistic long-term strategy to address the problem that doesn't happen in in fits and spurts around tragedy indeed and and i've always um been cognizant of the fact that we only have conversations about gun control or gun laws Right after a tragedy it's like it it's 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 like when I was younger and my mom used to say one day you're going to do something and every time I think about it, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to whoop you again. It may sound crazy, but that is what I think of when I think about gun control. When we, when something happens, when a tragedy occurs, we get mad and we get whooped again over the head with the talk about gun control and gun laws and things of that nature. But when it's calm and nothing's going on, which in this country is rare, but when it's nothing's really going on or when it's just uh, crime in Chicago or Los Angeles or in the inner city, then it's just, you know, pushed under the push, pushed in on the back burner. It's not a conversation. And, and I've, I've always thought that uh, gun control I don't know if gun control is something that can ever actually be brought to fruition. I don't think that you can uh, really control fully the sale and transfer transfer of guns and whatnot. Yeah, you could. How? You could do it. See, the thing of it is, man, um, a lot of times, like, we, we, we get caught up in these states' rights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the laws... It, there's so many different statutes and so many different standards depending on what state you live in. So take, for instance, here in Michigan, I own an AR-15. When I bought my AR-15, uh, I paid for it, but I didn't walk out of the gun store with it that day. I had to wait. They did a background check on me. It took them three days, and then they called me to tell me that I could come and pick up my rifle, right? Now, in Florida, 
You didn't necessarily have to wait that three days. You didn't necessarily have to go through that extensive background check. So with the In Virginia uh, you don't. Well, see, I um I went I went and picked up my last hunting rifle. I walked into the store, spent an hour looking through stuff, decided that I was going to purchase something. They ran my background check. I continued to look for about an hour. And after about two hour, two and a half hours in the store, I walked out with a hunting rifle. Yeah. See, and, and that's that's part of the problem. I think, um, and I've said this before, and a lot of folks disagree with me, but I said we really do need a national standard when it comes to the purchase of firearms, when it comes to the licensing of carrying a firearm concealed. Uh, where if, say, for instance, a, a, a concealed carry licensee, he goes into another state and now he's out of bounds. He's breaking the law just by trying to transport a weapon that he owns legally. And it's happened to me. <laughs> right. Oh, that drives me nuts when you're trying to travel and you're like, OK, so I can be in Virginia and West Virginia and it can be in my car, in my glove box. But when I hit Ohio, I got to stop and get out and put it in the trunk and separate the ammo. And then I got to go all the way around Illinois. And like, it's it's ridiculous. And the thing about it, man, is uh, to someone who isn't exercising this right. Uh, they will listen to that particular part and be like, okay, so what? Stop whining. You know, this is, you, you want to carry a gun, then you should have to do all of these things. It's like, okay, man, I'm just execute. I'm just trying to protect me and mine. I'm not trying to knock off anybody or anything else. I'm just trying to make sure that I take every precaution necessary that when it comes to me and my family, that we are all right. And, and it, like for me to have to go through these hoops and have to, uh, make sure that I get out of my car and, and unlock my gun and, and, and separate the gun from the ammunition and make sure that the trunk is locked and all these things just so I can get from point A to point B. You know, it's 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 it's, it's, it's a bit frustrating. But at the same time, like I was saying, when it comes to uh, the di- discrepancies and where, you know, someone can go get a gun with no background check or someone can just walk into a gun store with no license and walk out with a gun. Um, there's that discrepancy because we have so many of these different state laws. So if we had a universal standard for how we are to obtain firearms, how we are to transport firearms, I think you could mitigate or, well, I wouldn't even necessarily eliminate, but you will uh, kind of, at a precipitous rate, drop down the 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 uh, the instances of where folks are getting these guns illegally, uh, where you're getting, you're making uh, law-abiding citizens, criminals, just for exercising their right. Um, I think there needs to be a national standard, and I think that national standard can mitigate a lot of those situations. Um, I would agree. Um, I don't necessarily, I, I not necessarily, I do not believe at all that that national standard should be a federal law. I believe that national standard should be a constitutional amendment because then if you go through the amendment process, you are maintaining as and for me as a constitutionalist as well. If you set a national standard as a constitutional amendment to the Second Amendment, what you are doing is you are maintaining states rights and state sovereignty 
because the the amendment process you need a two thirds in the House and the Senate and three fourths of the states to ratify it. So by default, you are by going through that process, you are maintaining states' rights. I'm 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 I'm. <laughs> Y'all gotta excuse my silence. I am literally learning. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I gotta say, I know absolutely nothing about any of this. I am learning. So if y'all don't hear me say anything, that is because in my mind, I am pleading with you to keep going. <laughs> because so there I, are people who are listening who likely don't know anything about this either. And the only way that we're going to learn is now the only chance we're going to get to learn is like opportunities like right now. So please just keep going. Mm. So I actually have, and this is because especially in the last years being in, uh, you know, in the Southeast, being in rural areas, being around, I don't know anything. Uh, hold on one second. Hold on. Lisa?
So being where I am um, regionally in the U.S. Um, and being my social circle is gun owners. These are conversations that come up all of the time. I mean, these are conversations that happen with your friends. These are conversations that happen over a beer. These are conversations that happen with your neighbors. Whenever something comes up, gun control, gun reform, gun rights are always conversations. And as such, over the past three years of just having these conversations, I kind of have, like, if if it were me that were able to draft these legislations or, or petition or lobby for these changes, um, certain things that I would look to do. And the first one would be a constitutional amendment. I would, I would essentially scrap any federal law referring to gun rights and I would take the bones of the requirements for a class 3 weapons license I would incorporate carbine length semi-automatics into that with a dispensation for hunters with disabilities And I would use that as the bones and framework for a constitutional amendment that sets a national standard for how we for how we approach the sale, ownership, and use of those specific types of weapons. And for those of you that are not familiar, a class three weapons license is um, it's a license that dealers and private citizens who are willing to jump through ATF hoops and pay an awful lot of money um, can get from the federal government, which allows them to have fully automatic weapons, select fire weapons. If your state is a state like Texas that allows you to have a tank you can have that through a class three weapons license under the 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 antique or um or like vintage collectors label or whatever um so there is already a framework right now that nationally restricts certain kinds of weapons and munitions um i would take the bones of that and i would frame it out to be a vehicle for a constitutional amendment. And that would give you your national standard. I would then require at a state level, because one of the biggest problems that I hear from gun owners when it comes to things like registration and for people that are advocates of responsible ownership a lot of the time registration is a no-brainer like you shouldn't have a gun that nobody knows you have but a lot of the times people balk at the idea of the federal government having that information because the the inherent nature of the second amendment was to protect the populace from the perceived or potential tyranny of the federal government. And so I would require states to keep handgun, bolt action, long gun, and shotgun. So basically anything that's used typically for hunting, um, registration um, as, as a bare minimum. 
and then redefine the ATF as an administrative duty that maintains a database that works both ways from the federal end and the state end to where if you are a Virginian who has been convicted in Virginia of domestic violence or a violent felony or whatever it is in Virginia that would prevent you from owning your bull action long gun or your handgun in that state, your name is flagged in the state database, which can then be accessed by any other state. The federal government's responsibility would be for things that are considered federal jurisdiction, like someone's on the no-fly list, but California doesn't necessarily know that because California has no access to a national database without going through outside channels. Mm -hmm. And so there's a communication there that automatically allows a more comprehensive background check. But by separating it at a state level and at a constitutional level, you're still maintaining states' rights. Now, I um, I heard earlier... So <laughs> sorry, so far, Antoine, do you have any thoughts on what I just said? No, not at all. Not at, all. Not, not at this time, no. <laughs> now, I heard earlier, uh, Mr. Spann, that... Uh, you said you had a, a, a AR-15, correct? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Because, again, completely blind to this, vapid, actually, uh, to be completely honest. What is the use of an AR-15? Like, what would it be at, at it? What, what, if you used it, would it be used for hunting? Like, what would an AR-15 be used yeah. for? Uh, at its base level. Well, base level is used to shoot, but in what situations would you utilize an AR-15? Well, for one, I'm not a hunter, so my guns aren't going to be used for hunting. Uh, and two, uh, an AR-15 round, which is typically either a two, two, three, or five, five, six round. Uh, in a lot of states, they don't even recommend you use that firearm to hunt because you can't kill with that rifle humanely. It's not a big enough round. So, uh, no, I wouldn't be doing any hunting with my AR-15. My AR-15 is primarily for home defense. I shoot it at the range, not only for proficiency, but also because I do like shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much it for me. <laughs> that's pretty much <laughs> it. I don't, I don't, I don't have any holistic use <laughs> behind it. I don't have any, uh, you know, philosophical reasons behind it. I made a decision as far as how I wanted to defend my home, that that would be a tool that would be available to me in the event that I had to have, I had to use it. Hmm. Can I ask you a question, Antoine? Do you have land? You said you were in Michigan. Do you have land? I do not. Not in Michigan. Um, the only reason I was asking is because I hear a lot of people, and this this is a logical um, thing for so for people that aren't familiar with the the applications either for home defense or for hunting or for sporting or for leisure shooting, which is a thing. Um, a lot of people who choose an AR-15 for home defense. Um, have some extent of land um, because your accuracy with a handgun is 
for most people, about 10 to 12 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have land, you are already waiting until someone is on your doorstep before you are defending your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that gives you a more long range accuracy is better in those situations. Um, obviously not necessarily in your situation, but I mean, you're, you're right. You're right. You know what I mean? You're, you're a collector. You're an enthusiast. You have what you have. Um, but just kind of to, to answer another possible, to give another possible answer to Rashani's question. Which there was going to be more questions. I, I'm just being completely honest. I'm fucking lost here. It's like me <laughs> sitting in the back of physics class and y'all two are like the nerds <laughs> in front of me. And I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? This thing? Please help me out with this question. <laughs> Antoine, just lean to the left a little bit. Just lean, just lean, homie. Just lean with it, rock with it. Just lean to the left now, 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 now. Lisa, you're writing a little bit small. What'd you put on number six? Come on, girl. I'll buy you some more French fries. What'd you put on number six, girl? <laughs> Help a brother out. I am so sincere and I am so thankful. And I know y'all going to get tired of me saying that before the end of this episode. But I don't know shit. And the only way that I'm going to learn is by asking these questions to y'all. And also, the reason why I'm asking questions about AR-15 is because the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting uh, involved in AR-15. So AR-15s are a particular hot button model of firearm yeah because wasn't it also used in newtown and they are they are they're exceptionally commonplace um ar-15s were and i believe still are the most popular um leisure shooting rifle so people that did target practice, people. some people do hunt with them. Some people have them modified for a higher caliber. Um, you know, there's a, a, they're one of the most popular rifles in the States. Um, they are cheap and quick to produce, and they fly off the shelves because not only that, but this goes back to the whole gun culture aspect as well. They look sexy. Like they, for, for little boys that are used to, you know, playing video games and, and worshiping cops and military and like, they just, they look sexy. Um, and so they're really, really popular. So they're, you know, easy access for someone that wants to do harm because chances are, if you don't own one, your brother does, your mom does, somebody you know does. They're also a carbine length rifle. Um, and a carbine length rifle is um, three, correct me if I'm wrong here, Antoine, it's two thirds the length of a standard long gun. Um, and it was, it was specifically designed in its, you know, in its prototype and infancy for law enforcement and military aspects, because when you're dealing in an urban environment, they are easy to maneuver in hallways and around doors and things like that. So, um, because of the length of them, um, and it's, it's a powerful round that, does a lot of damage um you know it part of the reason why it's not recommended for hunting is because it goes clean through 
whatever it is that you hit with it. Like, I mean, it, it, it does a lot of damage. Um, so they're a hot button item because they are so popular when it comes to people that have intent to do harm because of their maneuverability, because the, the kind of damage the round itself does, and just because they are so commonplace. Um, and that's why I had included carbine length semi-automatics in a, a revamping of a class three weapons license. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, if you want to own it, you still can, but if you want to own it as a responsible gun owner, you should have no problems filling out another piece of paperwork for it. No, I don't have any issues with that at all. And one of the things I think is very important when we talk about the AR-15, because I know it's been written about quite a bit because of what happened. Uh, with this last tragedy, uh, and there were, uh, a couple others. I'm looking at some right now, like when the, uh, the Inland Regional Center shooting was, uh, you know, that shooting was with an AR-15 and, uh, also, uh, actually had two AR-15s. And I've seen a lot of posts made on a lot of, you know, national publications where they say that the AR-15 is the, uh, the choice gun for mass shootings when that's inaccurate. Most of your mass shootings are done with handguns. Uh, and not only that, I think it's also important uh, that we really do make the distinction between the AR-15, which is a civilian model of that rifle, and the M4 and the M16 that are used by law enforcement and military. Okay. Yes. Uh, the AR-15 rifle is a semi-automatic rifle. It shoots much the same way that your pistol will shoot. Uh, one pull of the trigger, one bullet. Uh, there is no select fire on an AR-15 rifle. Uh, the difference between the AR-15 rifle that a civilian can buy and the M4 or M16 is that the M4 and M16 come with selective fire. They can shoot in three-round burst or they can go in fully automatic mode. The AR-15 that is sold to civilians does not have that capability. And I think that's a very important distinction to be made uh, when we talk about uh, the capabilities of an AR-15 rifle. Uh, because, you know, I, I see it all the time. I see people talk about this all the time and they get them confused. And it's so easy for them to get them confused because they look the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's very important that we make we we we, we put that information out there. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that I wanted to discuss tonight as well is just the, the vernacular and the definitions surrounding certain kinds of weapons. Um, because a lot of people don't like so many times I will get in conversations with people that are not familiar with, with firearms and they don't know the difference between double action, double action only, semi-automatic, fully automatic, select fire, you know, and and they use certain things interchangeably. One of one of my personal pet peeves is assault weapon. There is no such thing as an assault weapon. An assault weapon now is a name, it's a moniker without a definition. Um, an assault weapon 
was defined in various ways under the 1994 assault weapons ban, but it could mean an exponential number of permutations of different things on different weapons. So, for example, you could have an AR-15, and that AR-15, as it was bought in the store, was not an assault weapon. The second you put a pistol grip and a muzzle or a flash suppressor on it, it became an assault weapon. You could have, in some states, a pistol and a semi-automatic pistol, a Glock 23, a Beretta 9mm, whatever it was. And as soon as you put a sight on it, in some states, that became an assault weapon. So... When people say things like we want to ban assault weapons, my first question is, what does that mean? And most people, like, I, I will say to someone, to you, what makes an assault weapon any more dangerous than a different firearm? And they will compare any semi-automatic to something like a revolver. Um, and there's just, there's a fundamental ignorance when it comes to talking about firearms that contributes to the quagmire that we find ourselves in when we talk about gun control and reform. Because if we're not all speaking the same language, we cannot communicate solutions to the problem. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm listening. <laughs> Lean to the right a little bit, for real, for real. Uh, Antoine, um, I, I missed that last paragraph you wrote down. I'm not going to put what I, I'm not going to put what you put verbatim. Um, instead of we, I'm going to put I. So it's not plagiarism. <laughs> it's okay. You, lean. I'll buy you a little Caesar's pizza. You know, and it's something that people don't understand. It, it was a very good distinction that, that Antoine picked. Uh, that, Antoine made is an AR-15 with a 10 capacity magazine fires at the exact same rate as my Glock 23 with a 10 capacity magazine. I mean, we're talking milliseconds of difference if you really wanted to get get into the physics of it. But essentially, that same firearm in in the same shooter's hands fires the same number of rounds at the same rate of fire. So what makes that AR-15 with a 10-round magazine more scary or dangerous than my Glock 23 with 10 rounds of 40. Nothing. It's just people are ignorant to how firearms actually work and things look scary Mm -hmm. and we are reactionary in our policy. And I think there's also a bit of pretentiousness too, uh, even among other gun owners, um, where you'll have another gun owner tell you about what you need as uh-huh. far as, as far as uh, you know what weapons you choose to you know to protect yourself or why you even decided to get a certain type of weapon. So I was having a discussion on Facebook with a few friends, and we were talking about uh, you know the use of an AR-15 and 
you know, the perception of an AR-15 owner is that, well, it's really just a showpiece. You know, you don't really, that gun never really does anything. It just, you know, uh, it, it sits on a, the, the mantle and you show your friends what you got and it's just something to show off. And it's like, well, I mean, you could do that, but you could also use that gun for home defense. And, uh, you can also use that gun for sports shooting. There's a, there's a, you can use that gun for a lot of different things. And, and so and let's just let's just admit it, Antoine. AR-15s are fun to shoot. They are. They are. <laughs> I am. You trust? I say I, sh- I shoot for fun. I go to the range and I I shoot yep. not only profession, not only for just for proficiency, but I also shoot because I enjoy it. But mm-hmm. the uh, the point that I wanted to make was that uh, is and it came up because of again because of this Orlando shooting. Uh, the, the perception was that. Uh, Omar Mateen was able to, you know, harm as many people as he did simply because he had an AR-15 at his disposal. And the point that I made to this person, because this person also owns a handgun and said, well, if you'd have taken a handgun, say, for instance, if I had a, a Glock 27 or a Springfield uh, XD with an extended magazine with 30 rounds in it, and I had more than one, I had more than one magazine. I could have done the exact same amount of damage with that as he did with that AR-15 because they operate the same way. So you would tell me that I don't need an AR-15. It's too much for a residential area while at the same time owning a pistol that's capable of the very same thing, but you're comfortable with that pistol. And so looking at my AR-15, you're like, well, you're doing too much, (laughs) you know? And, um, you know, you, you'll get that. You'll get that also. And what's hysterical to me is the people that are like, well, an AR-15 is too much are the people that have a 9mm for home defense. Like, so one of the things about 9mm round is because it is just because of the the the, the, dy- the dynamics of the round itself, it doesn't stop. <laughs> Like a nine millimeter round will go through flesh, drywall, insulation, and your kitchen sink before it finally stops. And and cabinets. <laughs> yeah. Um, but these are the same people that are like, oh no, an AR fifteen is too much. I'm like, you're gonna do the exact same damage with, you know, a, a nine millimeter round as I would do with, you know, a, a five to six. And and one of the things I really want to make clear when when I speak on this, uh, because of course I'm going to talk about this on my show this week, but uh, <laughs> I, I I try to be very careful with not sounding uncaring about it, right? Um, because again, at the end of the day, we, we're talking about this because 49 people lost their lives over this over this past weekend because of one dude with a gun, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's very important that. Not only do we uh, we properly give these folks the respect of or, or give their families the respect of, you know, being able to mourn and, 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 and lament this tragedy. But at the same time, uh, being able to speak rationally on this situation, on the use of guns, on the use of, uh, you know, how these laws uh, manifest themselves in, a, in, in helping to facilitate this happening. Um I, I, I think it, I, I just try to be careful with how I say things uh, when it concerns things like this, because at the end of the day, I know like as a gun owner right now, 
especially as an owner of an AR-15, that's not a popular stance right now. Um, And, you know, it it just isn't. And so um, I'm very mindful of, you know, how I say things on this topic. And, you know, I, I just basically try to be respectful at the same time when I talk about this issue. I think that's very important. Definitely. Um, And one of the things that we haven't talked about yet that was something that I had in mind that I wanted to talk about when I when I first texted you, Rashani, was (sighs) there part of the reason why this is so polarizing and so emotional and and so divisive is because you have on the one side your diehard second amendment out of my cold dead hand rhetoric that comes across as so lacking in empathy and and humanity and on the other side you have so much empathy and so much care for for humanity that it comes across as every single gun owner is responsible for every single gun death and there has to be a way to meet in the middle because you're right Antoine 49 people are dead and that is it doesn't get more fucking real than that it doesn't get more fucking tragic than that. And if we are willing as a nation, both people who will never own a gun and gun owners alike, to get caught up in this visceral, vitriolic rhetoric and hatred that is polarizing us, rather than actually working to do something then we've lost we've lost across the board because at the end of the day i am a gun owner i love my guns (laughs) i enjoy shooting my guns i like the fact that i can as a single mother protect my child and myself if i need to i like the fact that i can drive across country in the middle of the night to go see my family and i don't have to fear for my safety of me and my child, but my right, which it is a right to own that piece of property does not supersede the right to human life. And so if we as gun owners would like to protect our right to own that piece of property, we have to acknowledge that preserving human human life and human dignity is a priority. Indeed. Indeed. Um, And I just lost my train of thought. Damn it. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Damn. I'm going to give y'all a second to uh, regain that train of thought by saying again, uh, single simulcast episode 212. Um, I can tell you right now, this episode is called Radical Christianity. 
we have a lot of things to discuss, a lot of things to unpack. And I am, again, so grateful to have uh, Lisa Loco from the Father Teresa's Wine Cellar Media um, and Antoine Spann from the Spann Report on the show to discuss uh, gun control and, 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 and really why uh, it is so uh, important that we are knowledgeable um, about, well, guns. I'm still dumb, so I'm still kind of stuttering in the background and, and just trying to get in where I fit in, which right now I don't fit in at all, which is why I am so silent at this point in time. But I think that it is um, extremely important that we all uh, strive to absorb something from this conversation and, and really learn and grow uh, from this conversation. So, again, thank you both. I really do appreciate it. Um, Antoine, if you haven't found your train of thought yet, let me know. Um, if you have, then uh, just just uh, just lean lean to the left, brother. I, I didn't get number eighty six. I'm um, sure it'll come when I'm not even trying to think about it, and it'll just pop back up. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, Fat Man Wild, go ahead and play just a couple songs, maybe like one, and uh, we will be right back. This is single simulcast.
This is the new Sonicast with my daddy Rashadi. Peace. Dime
You are tuned in to Single Simulcast, the show about everything. Single Simulcast, episode 212, uh, Rashani, Lisa Loco, uh, Mr. Span, Fat Man Wild, uh, 916-572-9016, um, single simulcast at gmail.com. Um, so here's a question I wanted to ask you guys. Uh, um, I read this earlier today and I, I wanted to really just read the title and just leave it up to y'all. Um, and it's from the Washington Post and it says quite simply, for every criminal killed in self-defense, 34 innocent people die. Um, is that a, a uh, is that title in itself um, gaslighting? Well, here's the thing, man. Like, um, unfortunately, that that's the truth. Unfortunately, that's the truth. And that's when we get into, um, you know, the access and how folks are able to obtain firearms. Because truth, the truth of the matter is, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to committing crime, a gun is a, is the favorite tool of a, a lot of your criminals. It's the most effective tool for a lot of criminals. Um, and so, although it may be, it, it's, for a gun owner, it's an inconvenient truth in that uh, you may not necessarily like that more people are victimized at the hands of, a, at the barrel of a gun than, you, than they are protecting themselves you know, with a gun. But at the same time, uh, there's that old adage of, uh, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And that's pretty much how I, I how I operate. Um, you know, I, I would the, the very last thing I ever wanted to do is have to shoot anybody. I think that has to be said also. The very last thing I ever want to have to do is to shoot anybody. Uh, and so I think the vast majority of responsible gun owners share that sentiment. They don't want to shoot anybody. But they will if they have to. And so uh, to see that, you know, the vast majority of uh, people die at the hands of a gun, I, although it's is not uh, is not surprising. It's the truth. It's an inconvenient truth for a gun owner who would deny it. And uh, I don't deny it. Uh, I'm just on the other end of it where I feel as if uh, I'll take my chances. Uh, I have very very little faith in the police to protect me and my family. I feel as if it's my responsibility before anybody else's responsibility to see, to, to see to my own safety. Uh, and that's just how I, that's how I roll with it. Uh, but I'm not surprised by that headline. I'm not surprised by the stat, you know, the stat at all. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental truth. It is, um, and I think there are things that we can do to mitigate that as well. Um, because one of another inconvenient truth for a lot of gun owners is you are more likely to be harmed with your own firearm than you are to harm someone in the course of protecting yourself. Um, and that comes down to access and lack of safety protocols. Um, the number of people I 
know that have firearms that they have because their dad told them to get it or their brother had one or their wife didn't feel safe while they were gone without one or whatever, but they don't actually know how to use it Mm -hmm. is staggering and completely unsettling. Um, And things as well that would factor into that sort of statistic are, you know, the people that, you know, hear someone in their house or in their yard and they shoot their front step because they're fumbling and it scares people off so they don't actually have to shoot someone. Um, You know, things like that because we don't, we, we value our Second Amendment right above all, but we don't actually prepare ourselves for the inevitability of exercising it. And that is a huge, significant problem amongst gun owners, even people that consider themselves responsible gun owners because they have their ammunition separate or they have their trigger lock or they have their gun safe or they, you know, whatever. And it's like, have you ever done a safety course? Like, how many hours at the rate, how many rounds have you put through that thing in practice? Do you know what your grouping looks like? You have kids in your house. Do your kids know how to clear a weapon if they happen to see one because it's sitting on the kitchen table when you're when you're cleaning it? Like, these are things that are required for you to be a responsible gun owner. And people just don't think about it. They think, I buy it, it's locked up, it's out of the way, and I have it if I need it. And they don't think about what happens when you actually do go pull it out of that safe at the top of your closet. Are you prepared to use it and not injure yourself or your family in the process? Mm-hmm. I'm not. And I was actually, uh, I, I often think about getting a gun. Often. I mean, I don't know what kind. I don't know and what. Uh, capacity will probably be a shotgun. Um, but I think about getting a gun. I think about taking shooting lessons. I think about getting the kids in shooting lessons. I think about getting my wife mm-hmm. in shooting lessons because the youngest is now eight. We're all at a point where we can all be educated on how to control, how to utilize a gun safely, uh, how to. Uh, I, I, I just don't want anyone in my family to be shell shocked when they see a gun. Like, oh my God, it's a gun. You know, it, it, it's. I, I want them to be knowledgeable and have confidence in themselves and how to utilize a gun for their own safety and also for the safety of others. It's just not, it's not high on my list of things to do. Um, and, and it only gets high on my list of things to do again, after something happens, you know, um, for, Folks like Mr. Span, it's it's a it's a hobby, it's a pastime. It's you know you shoot for fun. For me, it's like I don't. I probably might. <laughs> I probably might. Um, if I get the opportunity, I might enjoy it enough where it'll become something where I want to do it more often. But in my mind, it's just like there's no uh, shooting ranges in close proximity to me. I could think of a million excuses for why I don't. Uh, go to training courses or get licensed or anything of that nature. Um, How easy is it 
to get a license, uh, get training and really become uh, acclimated with shooting? How much does it cost to go to the shooting range? How much does it cost for a gun? Really like a like a, 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 a semi-automatic pistol. How much would it cost for all that stuff to be done? It depends on your state. Yeah, depends on the state, and uh, a lot of times depends on the like the gun, uh, because like th- there's a lot of different costs associated with everything. So, say for instance, if you wanted to uh, go like here in Michigan, uh, the cost for uh, a CPL class, which is a concealed pistol license class, uh, is a hundred dollars. Uh, you pay a hundred dollars to go to an eight-hour class. You then have to go to, uh, you'd have to do four hours of shooting at a gun range and show proficiency there before you're given a certificate that you take to the state police. Uh, the state police then take that, that certificate and decide whether or not you are, um, you're fit for a gun license. Now, when I applied for my CPL, I had a six month wait. I had to wait six months and then they actually denied my license. <laughs> They uh, they denied my license because I had been arrested before, and uh, I had to go before the Wayne County Gun Board and explain to law enforcement what happened with that case before they would allow for me to have a gun license. Okay, so for the class was a hundred dollars, the licensing fee was another hundred and fifteen dollars. Okay, uh. The cost of a firearm. At the time, I had a Glock 27. The Glock 27 cost me about 600 bucks. That's a 40 caliber pistol, subcompact pistol, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, boxes of ammunition. Uh, at the time, for a box of 50 rounds, was probably about 25 bucks. So. Six hundred dollars, uh, hundred dollars, hundred and fifteen dollars. Where are we at? Like eight hundred and fifteen dollars now? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. and you got range time. So you got to pay for range time. Sometimes, uh, depending on where you go, because sometimes here in Michigan, if you buy a firearm at a certain place, they got a gun range. They'll give you a month of range time for free. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, you know, you have that, but typically like range time, they usually charge you in like half hour increments and maybe something like 15 bucks or so. Now, if you're someone like myself who goes to the range and I'm shooting more than one gun, it can get a bit costly. So I'll go with an AR-15, uh, a 22, a 40 caliber pistol, a uh, 380 caliber pistol, and I'm looking at a, especially if it's me and my wife, I'm looking at almost 200 bucks to go to the range. So it, it, it's a costly hobby. It's also costly to stay proficient. Uh, but if you deem it something that's important to you, uh, I don't really look at it as far as like being too expensive because it's something that I feel is important. And folks find things that they, they'll find the money to spend on whatever they deem important. So I'm in a state that requires basically nothing of gun owners, which is terrifying. Um, I am in a state that still allows private sale of handguns. So I 
bought my Glock 23 from a buddy for 200 bucks. And <laughs> yeah, I am also in a state in which you can open carry a handgun. So as long as my um, my firearm is visible from three sides, I do not need a license for it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I um, have a range membership for $35 a month. So I get my range time essentially whenever I show up for free and I buy my ammunition in bulk when it goes on sale. So for me to put in my my monthly or bi-monthly range time probably cost me the 35 bucks the month for the range and then maybe going rate right now for 40 because 40 is always hard to come by um around me is about 40 dollars a box so i'm looking at 75 bucks a month to keep myself familiar with my firearm and proficient. Um, and that's it. Oh, also, Virginia is a state in which there is no registration. Yeah, in Michigan, you have to register pistols. You do not have to register long rifles. Huh. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no registration, with the exception of machine guns. Firearms are not registered in Virginia. Huh. So my initial cost for my firearm itself was 200 bucks in a private sale. Um, and both me and my buddy signed a bill of sale. And that's to protect us, not necessarily for any official channels. So basically what would happen is if for any reason my handgun was found at the scene of a crime, they would trace the serial number back to the dealer that originally sold it. And then they would work forward from there, from the first owner, from the dealer. And then that owner would say, here's my bill of sale to the person that I sold it to. And then it would go to the next person. And here's my bill of sale for the person that I sold it to until it got to me. And that's basically it. And then, like, you know, if my firearm was stolen or something like that, I would show either the police report or my insurance paperwork saying, hey, I reported it to my insurance as stolen or missing in this burglary two weeks ago or whatever. And that would remove me from the chain of ownership as well. Hmm. But that's basically it. Private sale, no registration, open carry state. Virginia's terrifying. Yeah, Michigan is also an open carry state as well. As a matter of fact, if you do not have a concealed pistol license in the state of Michigan and you own a firearm, the only way to carry it is out in the open. Yep. Wait, what? If you do not have a license to carry a concealed firearm and you want to carry your firearm, your firearm must be carried out in the open. Yeah. So, like I was saying, for Virginia, I don't have a, uh, well, I did have a concealed carry, it's, it's expired, but currently now, if I want to carry my firearm with me, it has to be visible from three sides of my body. So, something like if my shirt were to fall over it or something like that, I would, I would be in violation of open carry law, because I don't have a permit to carry it concealed. But I can carry it on my hip or on my thigh as long as it's visible to anyone. I can also carry it in the front seat of my car 
as long as it is visible either like in the front seat unobstructed or on the dash unobstructed so that anyone can see it from at least three windows of my vehicle. And the difference in Michigan is if you don't have a concealed pistol license, you cannot have that gun available to you in your car. Yeah, Virginia is one of those scary states. Oh, yeah. You know, MS-13 is out there. Mazasaba Tucha. I don't know. I just... Um, I, I, I was telling uh, one of my friends that one of the worst things that probably uh, came about for gangs was the uh, invention of the show Gangland. Um, because, oh, yeah. you know, it was just like advertisement for gangs. Like, I didn't know about MS-13 and all that. But once I found out about them, I ain't going to fucking forget them. So... <laughs> It's like, okay, uh, didn't know about this gang that was banging up in uh, North Dakota on a on a uh, indigenous American uh, uh, land uh, where they're just banging. And uh, sorry, it, it was just something that always just mystified me. Like, okay, y'all aren't making them sound scary as much as you're making them sound pretty awesome. So that was always a problem for me. Um, like Mitchie Slick out here in California, he's a Piru and uh, from San Diego, and he's a he's a rapper. And the first time I heard one of his songs was literally on uh, Gangland, and uh, a lot of other folks heard his songs on Gangland. And his album subsequently sold many more uh, records than it would have initially. So yeah, but um, sorry, I just. As I said before, uh, the name of this episode is Radical Christianity. And the reason why this episode is called Radical Christianity is because uh, in light, in in the aftermath of the shooting uh, at Pulse uh, in Orlando, um, which again, uh, deepest condolences uh, to those who lost uh, family members, those who lost their lives, um, I mourn uh, in a way that I, 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 I can't even truly, I can't fathom uh, the loss. I can't. And I, I'm mourning in a way that I know does not even nearly uh, strike where it needs to strike. Um, but in, in, the, in, in the aftermath of the shooting, a lot of people uh, took to uh, blaming the shooting on ISIS and on a uh, radical Islam. Um, radical Islam was uh, stated a whole, whole lot um, as a as a reason for uh, this shooting. And um, President Obama actually uh, spoke on radical Islam, and, and it's a five-minute uh, video, but it is so uh, Let me make a final point. Real. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for a second. And then if y'all don't mind, I'd like to talk about uh, radical Christianity. So give me just one moment. For a while now, the main contribution of some of my friends on the other side of the aisle have made in the fight against ISIL is to criticize this administration and me for not using the phrase radical Islam. 
That's the key, they tell us. We can't beat ISIL unless we call them radical Islamists. What exactly would using this label accomplish? What exactly would it change? Would it make ISIL less committed to trying to kill Americans? Would it bring in more allies? Is there a military strategy that is served by this? The answer is none of the above. Calling a threat by a different name does not make it go away. This is a political distraction. Since before I was president, I've been clear about how extremist groups have perverted Islam to justify terrorism. As president, I have repeatedly called on our Muslim friends and allies at home and around the world to work with us to reject this twisted interpretation of one of the world's great religions. There's not been a moment in my seven and a half years as president where we have not been able to pursue a strategy because we didn't use the label radical Islam. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Um, radical Islam is, uh, to my surprise, uh, not something like how the teenage ninja, how the teenage mutant ninja turtles would utilize it in a sentence. Um, radical Islam is, uh, not something that is, uh, eye opening and amazing and just, uh, something that, uh, everybody should want to check out and be a part of, uh, according to, uh, Donald Trump and to a lot of, uh, people, Radical Islam is the cause of uh, many terror attacks uh, throughout the United States, throughout the world. And the fact that nobody is calling it radical Islam is the reason why they keep gaining strength, because we won't respect their name, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and bring them to light by saying their name like they are... Uh, Rumpelstiltskin or, 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 or Candyman or, or uh, Bloody Mary. Um, and it just always has struck me as absurd that this is the belief that people have is that if we do not say the name that they want us to say for these groups, uh, these acts, that they're going to keep gaining in, in strength and in prolific uh, aggression. I just always found that laughable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not once has an advisor of mine said, man, if we really use that phrase, we're going to turn this whole thing around. Not once. So if someone seriously th thinks that we don't know who we're fighting, if there's anyone out there who thinks we're confused about who our enemies are, that would come as a surprise to the thousands of terrorists who we've taken off the battlefield.
If the implication is that those of us up here and the thousands of people around the country and around the world who are working to defeat ISIL aren't taking the fight seriously, that comes as a surprise to those who've spent these last seven and a half years dismantling al-Qaeda and the Fatah, for example, including the men and women in uniform who put their lives at risk, and the special forces that I ordered to get bin Laden and are now on the ground in Iraq and in Syria. They know full well who the enemy is. So do the intelligence and law enforcement officers who spend countless hours disrupting plots and protecting all Americans, including politicians who tweet and appear on cable news shows. They know who the nature of the enemy is. So there's no magic to the phrase radical Islam. It's a political talking point. It's not a strategy. And the reason I am careful about how I describe this threat has nothing to do with political correctness and everything to do with actually defeating extremism. Groups like ISIL and Al-Qaeda want to make this war a war between Islam and America, or between Islam and the West. They want to claim that they are the true leaders of over a billion Muslims around the world who reject their crazy notions. They want us to validate them by implying that they speak for those billion-plus people, that they speak for Islam. That's their propaganda. That's how they recruit. And if we fall into the trap of painting all Muslims with a broad brush and, imp and imply that we are at war with an entire religion, then we are doing the terrorist work for them. Now, I've always been of a mind that um, the folks that I know who uh, practice Islam, uh, the, the Muslims that I know, um, they're just some, I mean, they're excellent people. They're hella funny. They're, they're just cool folks the folks that i knew when i was a teenager the folks i know now the folks that i work with the folks that i uh, go through my day-to-day -day life with are just brilliant minds excellent people great to be around and um we're horrified every single time that uh an attack happened and it was perceived that the uh, person who was attacking was of a uh, of Muslim faith. The reason why they were horrified is because as soon as uh, the belief came up that uh, they were of Muslim faith, um, they were going to get attacked, both uh, either uh, verbally or or, or, or physically. Um, 
one uh, of my friends was telling me about how uh, for a while he was uh, asked what his plans were after he got off work for about two months after 9-11 every time he left the office he was asked where he was going after work and uh, when he reported it to HR he was told that uh, they were just joking he was too sensitive but you can never be too safe I had other folks who were in classes with me um, who uh, when Islam McFaith was brought up, when Islam was brought up, when religion was brought up, uh, they were always looked to to answer questions, um, to explain the uh, brighter side of Islam, because apparently they were one of the good ones. Um, and I've had friends who were asked why they weren't wearing the. Uh, traditional hijab the the covering that uh some uh women are wear um both in this country and abroad and and i've had some friends who were asked uh if they knew any terrorists not that they were judging them just do you know any uh because if so i have a couple places that they can hit ha 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 i'm just kidding but for real i i don't want to go to work tomorrow and people make these statements and and make these uh these these horrendous have these horrendous thoughts and think that think there's nothing of it um, because they're just joking and why is this religion so sensitive and, and why is that if we uh, draw pictures of them that's offensive why do they get mad can't they see that it's just a joke and that troubles me it bothers me to my core because like I said I do not think that people I, I know that people know that they shouldn't be judging people based upon their religion but at the same time, when the only thing you could say about somebody is they're brown, they must be uh, radicalized. Uh, he uh, shot up a place. He must be ISIS. It takes away from a larger discussion that is there for the taking. It is open to you if you would just look at it. I don't know. It just... I'm sorry. It, it troubles me. It deeply troubles me how, uh, in certain situations, we are immediately going to judge, um, the shooter. We are immediately going to judge the, uh, culprit as one thing, but it's in, in other situations, we just want to go slowly. Don't rush, take steps. Don't go overboard. You know what I'm saying? And, and I don't know. I really don't know. So <clears throat> I had um, so many feels <laughs> coming out of the, the news coverage um, of Orlando, the, the event itself, and the news coverage of Orlando. Um, so much of it struck 
a personal cord, um, not, you know, the, the gunner side of me we have discussed in depth in, you know, the first section. Um, I'm also a queer woman. Um, and I am a queer woman who came into her... I, I don't want to say came into her sexuality, but came into my kind of... My, my sense of liberation within my, sen- within my sexuality in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, my my first pride as you know on on my own as like an adult was Jacksonville Beach. Um, the my first real girlfriend um, was out of Miami. Um, and so I I've never been to Pulse. Um, but all of those memories of, you know, just being a young person and, and being in various different LGBT, um, Q plus communities in the Sunshine State through my late teens and early twenties. Um, so many good memories and it just on, on that personal level, it it felt like I had been robbed of something. And then also just on a member of a larger community level, it felt like we had all been robbed of something because, and I made a post about this um, later on that evening. It, I was privileged enough to grow up in a household where being closeted wasn't a necessity. Um, I, I remember quote unquote coming out, my mom already knew, but I, I had that conversation with my mom when I was 18 years old and she looked at me and she was like, um, yeah. And <laughs> like, it was just, I, I just, I grew up in a very, very privileged, loving environment in that aspect. Even still, gay establishments provided a a sanctuary is is no other way to put it um because outside of my home the rest of the world still viewed me differently and not in a good way and so going to a gay club or a gay bar you know i could i could dance and show affection with my girlfriend and hold her hand and kiss her and not and not feel anxious you know being in in gay restaurants or coffee shops or or other social establishments you know you could you could feel comfortable in your own skin and hang out with your friends and and talk about your lives because your lives are queer like you know you, you can talk about your relationships and your loves and and your sex and and not have to do it in hushed tones because you're always anxious about who might overhear it and what their reaction might be and will it be uncomfortable or will it be dangerous or you know so and for for me I was privileged that those weren't the only that I had that I had that in my home as well but for so many of my friends and loved ones gay establishments were 
the only place they were able to feel that kind of liberation. They didn't have it at home. They didn't have it with their families. They didn't have it with their, with their, you know, friends outside of the community. They didn't have it at work. The only place they could go and be themselves and feel safe was, you know, a gay night or, you know, the local gay bar or, and we were robbed of that. Somebody walked in to the one place that we were always supposed to be safe, no matter what the shitty world around us threw at us, and took it away. And then, on top of all of that, these Christian, right-wing, conservative assholes is the only word for it appropriated that grief and that tragedy to further this rhetoric of hatred and I am enraged you know not only is it is it anathema to me for the the Muslim family members that I had as a kid growing up in an immigrant Iranian community in Cambridge, England, because my aunt had married um, into an Iranian family. It was a slight and a slap in the face to my Muslim gay friends and loved ones. But you also took our collective grief and made it about you and your bullshit. And that's a level of, of depravity that I just can't forgive. When the first thing that came out of, or uh, one of the first things that came out of Donald Trump's uh, mouth or fingers off of Twitter or whatever it was, was I told you so. I just sat back and thought about that for a second. No condolences. Just I told you so. And um, I know, Mr. Span, you said you. I, I, it's late out there, and I understand. If you have anything you want to add to this conversation, uh, by all means, the floor is yours. Um, if not, I really do appreciate you stopping by. Um, uh, uh, anything... Well, before I before I leave, I, I did want to say this, man. I, I thought it was um, I thought it was really uh, fucked up how America tried to make that incident not about what it was. I mean, they tried to make it about everything else mm-hmm. than what it was. Uh, I for initially was even skeptical about whether or not it had anything to do with Islam because you kept hearing the same thing well he called 911 and he pledged allegiance to ISIS and I was like well damn where is the 911 call of this dude pledging allegiance to ISIS Mm -hmm. and we keep hearing this talking point and they keep driving home that he he was linked to radical Islam despite the fact that his ex-wife was saying that he wasn't religious, despite the fact that his father said that he wasn't religious, uh, they 
kept driving home that point to make it to link it to radical Islam. Um, and I think it did a, a very big disservice to the victims to try to make it out. Uh, to try to, to, to try to take the, the focus away on what really happened to drive some political narrative. And there was a big rush to do that. And it was disrespectful to the memory of everyone who, uh, who passed away that night, who suffered that night. Um, and I think it's a slap in the face to anybody who's been paying attention, like who, who actually just pays attention to shit. Like, are y'all really, do y'all really think y'all gonna, you know, get away with what you're doing? And you know what, the, to be honest with you, yeah, they do believe they can get away with it because unfortunately not enough of us are really paying attention. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, man, it was crass. Um, the ways in which folks were just trying to deny uh, the persecution of a group of people. Uh, and make it about something else. I saw a lot of that over the course of this week. I unfollowed a lot of people over the course of this week because of it. And uh, yeah, man, it's it's a real ugly side of people in society that I'm not really fond of. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's been crazy. Can I can it's I ask y'all a question before you take off, Mister Span? Um, because this. Uh, Amongst other things, but this really made me feel some kind of way. Um, when news reports came out about how Chick-fil-A was uh, opening up on Sunday to uh, make chicken and, and lemonade uh, for a blood drive uh, that was happening uh, in Orlando, Florida. Oh. And it, it made me feel some sort of way because as a lot of folks know, I don't know, maybe some of the listeners may not, but Chick-fil-A has always been adamant about their stance against homosexuals, gay, lesbian, trans, bi, anything that wasn't heterosexual, they did not want around them. They didn't recognize it. They didn't approve of the owners have said that uh, quite a few times. And... It, when when I saw that they were doing a blood drive and everybody was talking about this isn't being put on the news and this isn't being publicized, but it was on social media, so it is being publicized. Um, I just felt like it, it smacked of hypocrisy. Um, what it smacked of was PR, is what it fucking smacked of. Hmm. You know, you're going to co-opt this to, to get some of your customers back because you had a shitty PR a couple of years? Fuck you. Yeah, that about sums it up. And I, I, honestly, I think that sums it up. <laughs> One thing I do want to say, um, and I really don't want this to come across as an afterthought because it's not, and it's something that that I am hyper aware of, and I am sure um, you are hyper aware of, and and most of your listeners are hyper aware of too, is. The, the fact that the victims at Pulse were queer and trans people of color. Mm-hmm. And that adds a completely other layer to the tragedy and the invasion and, and 
just the fact that a community was robbed of a sanctuary because queer and trans people of color within the LGBTQ plus community are the most marginalized and they are the least likely to have safe places to go other than gay establishments. And I don't want that point to be missed. That is so important when we're having this conversation. Mr. Spann, it was an absolute honor having you on. No problem, brother. Um, I really do appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. It was good talking with you, Antoine. You too. You too. Tell the folks (laughs) one more again where they can uh, find your shows at. Uh, You can find the Spann Report on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, uh, pretty much everywhere podcasts are available. You can also go to thespannreport.com and I was doing the show live on Spreecast, but it seems like that's going away. So uh, uh, we may do some YouTube. We may do some Facebook Live. Uh, but, yeah, you can definitely find the Span Report on all of those platforms. Uh, you can chop it up with me throughout the week on Twitter. My name on there is Mr. Underscore Span. And, uh, yeah, man, that's pretty much it. All right. Thank you for having me on again, man. No worries. My pleasure. You and I am Lisa Loco, the white splainer in chief at Father Teresa's Wine Cellar. And you can find the wine cellar um, anywhere podcasts are available. You can also check out um, Phoenix Kalita's thoughts and writings, and she is absolutely brilliant um, at Reading in the Shade on Facebook and on WordPress, and also um, Wine Cellar Media's um, Facebook page and and blog. Um, social dissonance, uh, cognitive analysis of justice. I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> I'm not. I got some more. Okay. I got some more. Um, Fat Man Wild, play one song. I know, I know, I know. I'll make it up to you next week. I know, I, I know, I know. Shut the fuck up. I know, I know, I know. Dog. Thank you. Play one song. Tug of war in my mind's like a clash of the titans. Thoughts contrast, so it's layers to my writing. God fearing, but I'm God fishing. Yeah, God hearing, but I'm gone fishing. I'm an artiste, drug dealer, foreign car keys. Drop jewels, so these falcons like the Maltese. Birds in the trunk, so these keys now they homing. Letters and numbers on the coop like it's Roman. Woo! All black like the omen. Kim said it, yep, big road is so I'm feeling like a Greek god when I quote it Light years ahead when I was caught up in the moment Moment of clarity, moment of silence Burner on my waist, yet I'm saying stop the violence Sitting on that white horse, look at Prince Valiant Dad shakes his head cause the worst waste is talent I philosophize for them pitchfork scholars Devil on my shoulder and the pitchfork follows Poking at my problems, I know how to solve them With a ski mask, automatic or revolver Slave is one whose power and authority is ruled over by another whose sphere of freedom is limited according to the wishes of a master. Your power and authority is ruled over by another and your sphere of freedom of activity activity, activity, is governed 
by the wishes of somebody else. Them niggas wanna see me running, they know I won't. They say misery loves company, no I don't. Ain't got no time for you to try on no Manolo Blahniks. All I got time to do is go back in time and pose with the Unabomber just so I could go back in time a second time to photobomb it. I live by a code of demonic Illuminati, Obama, Hovenomics. Hold up, hurdles in life, I hop in the turbo and roll around them. I'm Dougie Fresh in the flesh. I beat box. I between the sheets to seek the G-spot. I'm in bed with three naked ladies holding hands. I'm in bed with three major labels. And I ain't talking about wearing clothing brands. Underground locomotive man. Putting on a global show that no promoter can. I philosophize with wise words from learned lessons. In my world, mistakes turns to blessings. The hate turns to destiny. I'm saying, Lord Jesus, why the Lord's most gorgeous creatures take turns blessing me. I got your baby mama down on all fours. When drama coming, I'm all for it. If it ain't about the money, please let this be your last question. You players can jump if you want, but you half-stepping like Paul George I make the gay invisible in like a day or two That's how the players do, my nigga, it's layers to it First in science, first in technology Wealthiest country on earth, most powerful country on earth Is 26th in education So, you have all been taken And you don't even realize oh. that you have been dumbed to the point where you are like shit. Paranoid of poverty, hustle was the philosophy. I seen the kilo, I swear it became a part of me. Lie, cheat, still I had it mastered by my teens. Started hands on and niggas still pulling strings. Hotel suite, straight selling niggas dreams. Motel 6 as I let the beeper ring. Was a water boy, but balling always in my jeans. Season ticket holding niggas sitting with the team. Feds on the roof for the spreads and the juice. So suspicious of the cars. Tuitions for the schools. Labeled the mastermind, opposition every move. Shots fired, not a deposition from the crew. Smooth operation, but the money came in knots. 40 millionaire a day, you tell me what I'm not. I own 50 homes and wanna get 50 more. Counting fast money and fucking my bitch slow. Rose, Rose, Rose. Hey, it's your boy Dino Red from the Shiznit, and I'm here chilling with Rashani on the single simulcast.
That was simply sensational. sensational. Single, Single simulcast will surely surface speedily. Bitches. <laughs> Hello, everybody. You are listening to Single Simulcast. My name is John Cushman of the Cushman Chronicles. This is a podcast where I fight the forces of resistance. In this... Okay, I gotta go. Cushman Chronicles. Peace. Hi, this is Gabby, and when I'm not leaving 47 voicemails, I like to relax and listen to my favorite podcast, The Dream Team. Um, didn't Alec Baldwin get in a lot of trouble just by tweeting the name of the... He tweeted the name of... Yeah. Like, he was not... It was no commentary. He was just saying... No, he was just saying the song was good. He was like, I like yeah. niggas and bears. Right, and he was just saying the name of the song. And he got torched for that. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's Bill O'Reilly came... Bill O'Reilly came right behind him and said, and I like the song Niggers in Captivity. 
Bill O'Reilly likes to solve niggas in Africa as in y'all go back. <laughs> been trying to get niggas out. Gonna happen for years. White folks have a secret handshake. Like, okay, we slap hands and you slide it and you hold a piece of cheese to your mouth. But let's be real. Oh, wow. But let's be real, though. Like, <laughs> the niggas in Africa is going to be like a white, um, bar- a barbershop quartet. Doo-doo. My ball so hard these niggers can't see me. <laughs> I ball so hard these niggers wanna be me. I ball so hard every day, every night, but then I take a week off because I'm white. I ball so hard these niggers can't see me. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Single simulcast, Lisa Loco, Rashani, Fat Man Wild. Um, Now, I did tell some folks that you were going to be on the show talking about gun rights, and uh, they did have some questions um, Mm -hmm. because, like I said, some we we don't get opportunities to ask questions a lot. Um, one question was asked by, uh, Miss Francine. Um, she said, what do you think of licensing gun use as we license drivers with the test of knowledge and evidence of proficiency? Absolutely. Um, and that was, I, I kind of got distracted and derailed with everything that was going on in the conversation tonight, but that was one of the things that, that, you know, I had said earlier, if, if I was in a position to, to enact any sort of legislative reform, um, you know, t- talking about like a constitutional amendment being the first place to start because that starts to define some of the ambiguous language um, and and set a national standard in a modern age that the Second Amendment as it is written just does not do. And then part of the state responsibility would be registration and safety. Um, And you know, things, and a lot of states already do this. I am in one of those states that doesn't, but um, a lot of states already do this, where you you have to do a safety course, and you, you know, and and a lot of states already have a vehicle in which to do it, because it's completely bizarre to me. In Virginia, I can walk into a gun store and buy a firearm without taking a safety course. However, to hunt with it, I have to do this hunter safety course through the DMV. Um, so, so even states that don't necessarily have like safety and licensing as as a, a de facto of owning a weapon, they do usually have some sort of vehicle in place for safety courses for for hunting, for getting your your hunter's license and your state tags and things like that, um, and expanding that to all gun owners. Um, I think is essential. And that was part of what we had sidetracked into is just this this prevalence of, of people who own guns that they're not actually prepared in in practical ways to handle that firearm if they need to without injuring themselves, injuring someone they don't intend to, or having it taken away from them. So yes. Um, I am all about legislating safety. However, I think it should be at a state level. 
But it would be a requirement. The states would have to come up with some sort of safety protocols. They couldn't just not have safety protocols. But what those safety protocols would be, I think, happen need to happen at a state level because different states and different localities, different population densities, things like that, require different things. You know, not all guns are the same. Um, you know, and if you're predominantly in a state that has long guns for for hunting, or if you're predominantly a state with with huge urban population densities that that use sidearms for home defense, like those those different firearms require different information, knowledge, intelligence, and safety protocols. So that's why I would leave it up to the states to decide what their safety protocols would be because they may be different from place to place. Okay. Mr. Span, Enrique Black uh, from the Five Minutes Away podcast, uh, shouts out to him, his uh, lovely uh, girlfriend and their beautiful son. Um, asked you specifically, did anything besides the NRA supporting Trump prompt you to leave the NRA? The constant solicitations for money. <laughs> Sounds like my old Amen. <laughs> I get mailings all the time asking me to donate or to redo my uh, my membership. Uh, and, and most of it is propaganda that comes through the mail. Uh, and let's be clear, like my membership in the NRA had nothing to do with like uh, a lot of their political like their public political stances and I think that's true for a lot of NRA members I think uh, their unwillingness to bend at all when it comes to common sense gun legislation kind of turns a lot of folks off I'm gonna be quite honest with you I was in it because I was getting like tactical videos learning like instructional videos you know materials like that uh, and insurance additional insurance on my guns additional life insurance policy uh so those were the benefits that i saw to it but the constant solicitations uh for me to give them money to speak against the president or to even promote an agenda that i didn't necessarily agree with uh that led to it and then you know the 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 trump endorsement just kind of put it over the top but it was (laughs) i had been thinking about it for quite some time Well, that sums that up rather succinctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, thank you so much. Thanks for taking time out to answer that last question. I, I appreciate it. Um, and, man. and I'm sure Enrique appreciates it as well. Shout out, Enrique. What's up, brother? Now, um, the last question, Lisa, regarding this before we uh, move forward. Um, what do you think about the victim who said that the victim said black people have suffered enough, which insinuated that he would spare black lives. Um, honestly, I am not well read enough on the statement, um, to, to answer that question. Okay, don't. Um, I'm, I've, I've seen the articles come up on my Facebook. Um, I haven't, I actually haven't read 
any news in the past 36 hours um, because I've been driving across the country. Um, but yeah, so unfortunately at this juncture, I am not prepared or well-versed enough in what's actually going on to with the statement to answer that question. Okie dokie. Um, now, I did have another thing that I wanted to discuss, um, but I know that it's late where you are. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to gracefully bow out or con- or uh, decide to continue. It's completely up um, to you. I can, I can probably do about another 20 or so minutes. Ruby. Um, give me just one moment. Pow. That's my hold music. Um, cha-cha. So I really wanted to talk about um, Brock Turner. Oh man! All I, right, let's do it. I I didn't do a show last week. Uh, Gogo was graduating from uh, eighth grade, going into ninth grade, and so in lieu of doing a show, I went to her graduation because you know um, that was important. Um, it infuriates me. Uh, This whole thing infuriates me. It infuriates me because, well, obviously, um, the, the, the horrendous act that he, uh, that he, the, 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 the motherfucker's a rapist. Yes. And, um, the fact that he was so fucking callous about everything, the fact that when he, uh, was, uh, pulled off of this poor unconscious uh, young lady when he was pulled off the victim he was just nonchalant about the fact that uh, when he was arrested and they took mug shots of him they wouldn't publish the mug shots for usage the fact that the news reported it as uh, great swimmer and Olympic hopeful Brock Turner is allegedly is accused of allegedly assaulting somebody, how they uh, just tried to uh, fine-tune it. Use the softest language they could. Exactly. The fact that his punk-ass daddy uh, came up to the court and said that his son shouldn't have to uh, suffer for 20 years for 20 minutes. A, a, A... 20 minutes of his life. I, I I think that the words were a 20 minute mistake. Hold on one moment because I saved all of this shit. Um, so I, hmm, this is one of the only times, um, and it's unfortunate that, that, that it's this topic. This is one of the only times that I am going to be a little more careful, um, about what I say right now, because, um, without sharing personal details of, of people that are not myself, I am intimately familiar with this community that this young man is from. Mm. No worries. Um, I don't know and, none of these motherfuckers. <laughs> and so, and, and I am identifiable through my social media and things like that. And I don't want there to be blowback, um, on people that, are not quite as public and open with themselves as, as I am. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> but I am I am intimately familiar with this community. Um, in fact, I have just been in it for the last month and a half, um, and in and out of it over the last few years. Um, and in all honesty, nothing about this story surprises me simply because I am intimately familiar with this community um, because it is a exceptionally small pocket of white affluence um, outside of Dayton, Ohio um, and just being and and also because I have been there for the last month and a half um, it's what everyone's talking about and and just the kind of the apologism and the rhetoric and the just the crap that is coming out of this community trying to to hold up its shiny golden boy is sickening um but it it really is in a lot of ways now this is not this is not to say that everyone in this community is this way yeah um but when we talk about white affluence and privilege just in general when we talk about it on our shows when we talk about it in our blogs in our facebook posts and when when we as a community of of content creators um, and, and social justice-minded activists and advocates talk about white affluence and privilege. This is the community that you picture in your mind. Um, and yeah, it's, he, <laughs> he, is, he is very much a product of where he is from. And I just, I am, I am sickened and I am angry, um, but I am also not surprised. The rapist, read a letter in, in, in court where he uh, not only uh, tried to make himself the victim he also uh, victim shamed the uh, actual victim um, tried to blame it all on the alcohol uh, shout out to Jamie Foxx I, I never really liked that song <laughs> uh, his dad is had attempted to go fund me uh, raise money to cover his son's prosecution fees or defense fees uh, the judge after getting a recommendation from the jury who found him guilty and uh, recommended <laughs> him to go to jail for at least six years uh, misread the fucking document uh, apparently he had something in his eye like uh, Brock's dick um because he uh, went ahead and gave him six years 
Oh, I'm sorry. I've read that wrong. Gave him six months. Yeah. And said that, and 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 all for all intents and purposes, Brock will be serving three months. Um, there was a, another guy uh, who uh, is not uh, anything, not a hero, not anything. Actually, he's a fucking asshole, too, because he did essentially the same exact thing that Brock did, and he was sentenced to multiple, multiple, multiple years. I'm not saying it's a Buck Roger date. Um, I'm pretty sure it was like five years which still isn't enough but Brock got three months um Jasmine Richards uh how many years did did they sentence her yet or is she still facing four years in prison um I think she's I I don't I think it's still four okay Brock got three months my homie had a uh, ounce of weed in his car. He got nine months. Brock got three months for uh, sexually assaulting an, inc- an unconscious woman and then showing absolutely no remorse. And it just it turns out the the judge that uh, saw all this and decided to just make it all go away because he said that Brock wouldn't farewell in jail which is just funny to me uh every time that i uh look on the news and see that um they're charging a a 13 year old as an adult uh for doing a wrestling move on a kid that happened back in uh the 2000s or 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 they want to charge a mom whose son fell into a gorilla pit uh, that happened a couple weeks ago. Um, it just amuses me how they want to charge these folks, uh, but Brock is too frail. The attacker, the rapist, the the evil is too frail to survive in jail. Um, that judge um, actually is uh, now being taken off all further sexual assault cases. Um because jurors, jurors are uh, pretty much refusing to work with him. And um, he also had a case that uh, he dismissed uh, earlier this week without really giving the prosecution much time to form a defense or an attack. Don't go to Paris. I, I promise. Was that you who said don't go to Paris? No. That was creepy as shit. I was like, okay, I'm not. I don't know what that has to I, I do with th- anything, but I'm not. Oh, my God. I thought I thought that was something on your soundboard. No. No, it wasn't. That was just scary-ass ads out of nowhere on one of these tabs. And now I'm scared to go to Paris. I'm like, okay, I won't. But, <laughs> but I know Paris. She's good people, and I'm going to see her this summer. And I have to avoid her now because the voice is spoken. But... Seriously, it's just, I don't think that I can be angry enough to let people know. There's, there's a profound injustice, not, not just 
for this young woman, especially for this young woman, but not just for this young woman, but for every single kid who legitimately was a kid that fucked up or, you know, every single kid that got caught with weed or a bowl or whatever that is serving time because they are not white and affluent that this piece of shit gets three months and gets to go home to mommy and there's it's there's a whole there's a whole psychopathy in in white affluence where like parents just want to fix everything for their kids and kids aren't allowed to fail ever and and their perfect little babies don't make mistakes and so they they grow up in a world that just gives them everything and excuses everything and they are entitled to everything including the physical being of young women who either tell them no or are not cognizant enough to consent or reject them they're just entitled because every single thing has been done for them. They have been saved from every potential mistake or failure because mommy and daddy don't want them to suffer. And it's just, it's sickening. And it is is—it is creating uh, a generation of, of young, affluent white men that are depraved. Or it's not even creating it. It's, it's perpetuating it because young affluent white men have always been depraved. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. That's, yes, she's absolutely right. I'm a jerk for laughing, but it's so true that it was a... Sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, and it just, it makes me angry and it's, there's just... There is no fucking justice, Rashani. There is no justice. And it's unrelenting. I mean, what it. This is just the most open and shut case. You know, and it, it was so blatant that. You just, like Dave Chappelle said, it's just so racist or it's so just privileged that you're just looking at it and all you can say is damn. That's, 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 that's. And there, there are so many different, different intersections of injustice here as well. Not only is he getting essentially a slap on the wrist and sent home to mom because he's he's white and affluent, but there is the complete disregard of the validity of this young woman's humanity. Mm-hmm. That, that this piece of shit kid's 
life and potential is more important than the damage and trauma that she received. You know, but it's a story as old as fucking time. You know, like I said, affluent white men have always been depraved. And women and people of color have suffered in their wake. I just, I think, I think it's, it's more insufferable now because we are conscious of the fact that we deserve better. Our, our humanity is valid. It's not to them. We're just, we're not even obstacles. We're just inconveniences. That's the only way I can really think of it. And it's not like I talk a lot about um, racism because I see it and it's everywhere and it's not going to go away. And even if I discuss it, it's not going to go away. Um, But I, I don't think that I lay it out as clearly as I can um, how tiny microaggressions of racism, how it just keeps happening and how tiny microaggressions of sexism and just misogyny just keep happening. And it's like you stick your finger into one hole in the dam and three more holes just spring up out of nowhere and it's never going to stop and it's never going to stop flowing and I just ran into a situation a couple days ago that was so uncomfortable that I'm never going back and the person who did it is the roommate of one of my wife's good friends and I'm never going back to that house and they were looking at me like, what's wrong? And I was like, you didn't experience what I just experienced. Um, but I'm not going to go through it again so you can witness it, so you can be appalled with me. You're just going to have to accept it. I won't be back. For some folks, there's not that choice. There's no safe space. When you go... Um, out on the street, the folks, the person who attacked you are still there, or the friends of the person who attacked you are there, or even the lingering memory of the attack is still there, and there's nowhere for you to go to get away from it because the place that you thought was once safe is no longer safe for you. And that's just, it's just, I don't know. I really don't know the words to put in, to put it, it just kills and- me. No one, no matter what the, no matter what the aggression is that you face, whether it's a microaggression that makes you uncomfortable or whether it is a severe trauma, no one can reverse the fact that you are going to carry those scars with you. But for 
God's sake, what is it going to take for us to live in a world where we can expect consequences for the people that are our aggressors? A miracle. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot more than what we're ever going to get because uh, people in power will say that they're going to uh, take steps to make everything right or to uh, get justice. But as soon as they get into power, they have mouths to feed. They have people to appease. They have roads to pave. Road to hell's paved with good intentions, you know. I think you mean they have pockets to line. That too. <laughs> that too. There is no justice. And on that note, I am going to have to leave you because okay. it is almost midnight here. Yeah, I don't want you up this late. <laughs> I mean Um but thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you and to actually do a full show tonight and not experience technical difficulties. Indeed. Um, and good topics. Thank you. No worries. Thank you so much for stopping by, Lisa. I really, really, really appreciate it. More than I can uh, truly convey, honestly. Anytime. And I appreciate you giving me a platform. So thank you very much. Have a great night and have a great night to single simulcast listeners out there. And we'll catch you again soon. Funding. Rough drive. <laughs> Hello. QD3 did the beat. All day, all night. <laughs> What's up, everybody out there in LA? What's really going on? Devilish way. When are you gonna make a million's worth of dividends? When are you gonna make yen generate? Wait. Who in the hell left the gate open? Did you wanna sell? Is everybody on the wavelength like us? Why do we rip it in half? Do we kick ass? We're back with attack. It's like, hop up, yell of it. Can you wait a minute? Can you slow it up a little bit? Need so I can get up in it. But do you really wanna dabble in fanatical, supernatural, lyrically radical? Million minutes, I'm about to begin it. Can I get some? Can I spit some? Which one? When am I gonna get off this trip? Can I take another pill? Why do I feel like I'm a sick individual in the room popping off at the lip? Do you feel me? Did you want a real epidemic? Would you let me run up in it? What's the word? Is it absurd? What is that issue? Hurt? Was it real? Is it real? Was it really real? Tech nine in it to win it beside QD third occurred? Who's the worst? Who's Ross? The body you're never living, never sure. Slossy out the first brother on the planet Earth. Who? Do you want to flow? What you want to do? How can I be in the zone like this? Going like this? How can I break the obsession? In the middle of it all, when I snap back, step back and ask myself, what? Why do you ask so many questions? Do you understand?
what you gonna do when you hit you with a critical homicidal lyrical killer flipper leaving you with boo boo underpants how does it feel do you wanna come up and chill with an assassin can you feel it inside what the feeling of a commotion that two titans clashing why me who are you what am i supposed to do with a nigga here for who do you fear mo is it the nine with a brand new joke like the here here go what are you looking at when am i gonna get a dose of thorazine can you give me a little something to ease the pain he's the main who's the main take a nina with the rogue dogs in the midwest side crews the blame can i get a little back with the tack ish little you accomplish never can't do this this pit last bottom eight and you toss out nigga ass babe mitch hate to play a percent a hundred to is side west mid down ever who off did you know tech nine hot like a dragon did you feel it baby can you give me your double dose of whatever the feeling i'm getting is really pain for vain for anybody want a piece of this sickness is it a cinch to get with I, who when where what why am i the pinnacle with the killer i do i wanna die no i just want a dose of the most in a syringe up in my thigh bunza Now do you know what the real is? Does everybody think I'm twisted? I'm realistic or do you think that I'm gifted? Am I lifted? Yeah. Can you help me? Am I looking at you? Could I be leaving you from afar? Please remain calm. Could you be the reason I'm a bomb? Straight out of Vietnam, ready to explode on Satan. Tell me what the problem is. Am I right with the bottom is? Do you know what the empty column is? Am I your worst nightmare? I feel sick right there. Should I blow it out? Can I do it out? Do I need help? Am I living with the dependent demons? I'm stressing. Can I get a blessing from who? The one who cursed me with all these questions. Tight, kill. You know what I'm saying? I gotta do this. Get the tempo to sign off.
What's up, Pain Tech and Swipe? <laughs> this nigga steady talking shit. <laughs> I'm talking about fixing the shit. Nigga. Give a shout out. <laughs> Damn. Damn. What's up, everybody out there, LA? We just kicking it. Why do I wanna stick him with another hit up out of a bitch? Why I'm at the pinnacle when I rip it, I'ma kill him in this. Why? Wanna stick him with another hit the bat of a bitch. Wow. And this is Father Teresa, the greatest black atheist of Father Teresa's wine cellar, and you're listening to the single simulcast.
single simulcast. No, no, my dad,